Our reading this morning comes from Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and we'll begin with Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And now Genesis 2, beginning at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens... When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. In the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And now, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. As we prepare to approach God's Word, let's pray together. Father, we 
come to you and to the rock of ages that was cleft for us. Naked, we come to you for dress. Helpless, we look to you for grace. We look to you for grace even now, asking that you would help us as we sit beneath your word, that you would allow us to see on the pages of your word to us our brokenness, that you would remind us that even though we all come through these doors bearing with different difficulties in this life, that we really are all the same because we are all far more broken than we could ever imagine. But helpless, we look to you for grace. We pray that you would lift our eyes together that you would point them and fix them upon Jesus so that we could be reminded that because of his person and work, it can be true that both and at the same time we can be far more broken than we could ever imagine, but also far more loved, far more secure, far more approved of and delighted in than we could have ever dared dream possible. Father, take us to this good news in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And the children ages three to first grade, you're dismissed to children's church. So if you make your way to the back of the sanctuary, someone will take you to your class. Um, Excuse me. A few weeks ago, we started a series through the book of Genesis. And, uh, you know, Genesis is the story of origins. It's the story of our beginnings. And these first two chapters of Genesis especially uh, come to us and they tell us what the world and what we, uh, humanity, were meant to be. And so, and right now we're spending a few weeks talking about what it means to be fully human. Um, what's at the essence of of our humanity. And if you happen to be here last week, we talked a lot about work. We talked about how God made us to work. Um, And um, this morning, we're going to shift our focus a little bit with these verses, and we're going to be talking about relationships, Um, that relationships are at the very core of our humanity, at the essence of our humanity. We were all made for relationships. I was reading the newspaper and I came across an interesting article um, by this guy who's a regular columnist for the Chicago Tribune. And uh, the article was about how we feel when we are left out of the loop with our friends, uh, when everyone else seems to know something, but we're in the dark. Uh, maybe it's even that we're an outsider to an inside joke or something like that. Um, and we've all felt that feeling before. Um, it's not a good feeling to, be, to feel left out, to be on the outside. Well, the author of this article quoted a neuropsychologist who explained life's tension in this quote, and this is what he said. He said, the two great themes in human life are autonomy and intimacy. On the one hand, he says, we think, I've got to be me, but there's also a need to be a part of we, right? It it feels awful to be left out, uh, to be on the outside looking in, to be isolated because there's this essential 
human pull in all of us to be a part of us. You can't be fully who you were made to be without being a part of us. Comedian Louis C.K., um, he observed, he doesn't get quoted here often, but, um, <laughs> but uh, he observed that, uh, he observed this, he said, pretty much a, in his observation, 100% of people driving are texting. And he says, and they're killing each other. Everybody's murdering each other with their cars. Now listen to the end of his observation. But people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second. C.S. Lewis wrote, as soon as we are fully conscious, we discover loneliness. To be fully human, you can't just be a me. To be fully human, you also have to be and us, we're made for relationships. We need others, Lewis wrote uh, in that quote on the front of your bulletin, in fact. If we, are, we need others if we're to know anything, even ourselves. That's how essential relationships are. You can't even know yourself without relationships. Just a brief little plug here. Um, We've got a spiritual formation series coming up that's starting next Sunday. So next Sunday for eight weeks, we're going to be in the fellowship hall, and I'm going to be teaching a series on relationships uh, for eight weeks. And so we're going to dig deeper into what we talk about this morning, and I hope you'll come and be with us uh, and bring your friends from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, and then we'll break and have coffee and donuts or whatever, and, uh, and then we'll gather for worship. Um, so come. I, I hope that's going to be, I, I think it will be a very beneficial discussion for you to get to be a part of, so I hope you'll come and do that with us. Um, but back to the task at hand this morning. We are made for relationships. We can't be fully human without relationships. And so I want to look with you at Genesis 2, Genesis 1, Genesis 2 this morning to see these three things. First, we need relationships with others. Um, And then second, I I want us to talk about how we need others who are like us and also not like us. And then third, I want us to talk about how we need to know others and be known by others. I'll repeat those as we go along. So first, we need relationships with others. Uh, one of the longest social uh, science studies of the 20th century began in 1939 at Harvard. Um, and it cost millions of dollars and spanned 75 years um, through tons of case studies that followed people throughout the course of their entire lives, through marriage and parenthood and divorce and career troubles and second and third marriages and bouts with addiction and parental death and having grandchildren and experiencing physical lessening later on in life. Um, the project sought to answer this one core basic question. What are the main factors contributing to happiness in life? You know, would it be money or career satisfaction or, or sex or, or power or security? What was it? George Valiant, uh, who took over the study in 1996, wrote, wrote this. He wrote that the people who don't learn to love early pay a high price throughout their lives. 
See, millions of dollars, hours and hours of research, tons of case studies, right, um, spanning 75 years, and they're just telling us what Genesis chapter 2 has been telling us all along. Um, Valiant wrote this as his conclusion, happiness is love, full stop. If we're ever going to be happy and experience the fullness of our humanity, we desperately need relationships with others. We need to love and be loved. Chapter 1 of Genesis, it's just kind of trucking along with God creating everything that there is, right? On every day of creation, He spoke, and it was by the power of His voice, right? He said, let there be light, and bam, there was light, right? Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and bam, and it was so, and on and on throughout the days of creation. And then something weird happened in the verses that we read from chapter 1 and verse 26 and 27. All of a sudden, God was having a conversation, right? All of a sudden, there are plural pronouns, us and our. Who is this conversation with, (laughs) right? Um, It's God speaking with Himself. It's a hint was the unique Christian doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we can't get into a defense of the Trinity this morning. Um, But isn't it interesting that it's only when God talks about making man in His image that He clues us in to His pluralness? Right? You see what this means? He's saying... He is essentially in His being, not just a me, but an us. And it means this, it means at the heart of reality for all eternity, there has been relationship. There's always been relationship. When God made mankind in His image, He tells us there He made us to be like Him. He made you and I to be an us. Right? It's the, the essence of our humanity that we need relationships with others. Now, and let me tell you something that I think is staggering about this story as I think about it. You, you come to church, you know, and, and there are certain answers you just kind of expect to hear. And it makes, me, it makes me think of that pastor who's doing a children's sermon up front. You know, all the children come up and do that. I'm so glad we don't do that here because that would make me more nervous than anything. Um, but um, all the kids come up and he tells them, you know, I'm thinking of this, this little animal. And let me describe it for you and see if you can tell me what it is. It's small and it's gray and it lives in trees and it has a bushy tail and it eats acorns and it even stores nuts for the winter and he's telling the kids this and then he says you know who knows what it is and this little kid pops up his hand and he says you know it sounds like a squirrel but I'm going to say Jesus Um, because (laughs) right at a very young age at a very young age We start expecting certain answers in church. And when it comes to talking about relationships, we expect, we expect to hear a very spiritual answer, right? Yeah, yeah, relationships, but all we really need in life is Jesus. 
Here's the startling truth of Genesis. God made man, and he put him in paradise. And everything was good, very good. There was no sin in the world, right? He was able to experience perfect food. I mean, everything was beautiful about his world when he opened his eyes. A perfect relationship with God. He had the best quiet times of anybody. He walked and talked with God in the garden. And this is what Genesis 2 is saying. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Chapter 2, verse 18, we read, says, It is not good that the man should be alone. God made us to need relationships with others so deeply that even God himself couldn't satisfy Adam all by himself. That's staggering to think about. In paradise, without sin or brokenness, with God himself, and Adam was lonely. We cannot be fully human without relationships with others. Doctors Paul Tripp and Tim Lane wrote in their book this, if my identity is tied to community, that is, to being an us, if that's my identity, then they write, to deny, to avoid, to escape, to misuse, to exploit, or destroy it, is to deny my own humanity. You deny your humanity every time you avoid someone. When you get angry with your children, when you opt for isolation over facing your hurt, when you exploit another human being, or when you give way to bigotry, we're made to be an us, right? We need relationships with others at the core of our being. And every time we say, it's just too hard, and we retreat, and every time we avoid moving towards someone in forgiveness. And every time we say it would take too much energy to go to something like a community group, it's just too hard to figure out what to do with the kids. Every time you do that, you're denying your own humanity. Right? See, we love to talk about community, all right? But when it involves real accountability and responsibility, and cost, we pull back and we retreat, and every time we become less human, less than what we were made to be. When you let your wounds fester in your life, when you avoid someone because uh, he or she is so not like me, when you act selfishly in your life, in your relationships, when you hide from others who you really are, you aren't making life easier for yourself. You are making it so much harder because you are denying your own humanity. You think the self, and I think it, right? That the self-centered grass will fulfill me, but it's actually moving me further and further from true happiness. Right? If Adam needed relationships with others in paradise, then how much more do you and I need relationships in a broken and fractured and fallen world? And let me just say this before we move on. Loneliness is not a sin. 
Like, right, when we feel lonely in life, it is our true humanity bubbling up to the surface, crying out for relationships with others. We weren't made to feel the pain of being left out, of being on the outside and isolated. Okay, that's the first point. Second, we need others like and not like us. In chapter 2, verse 18, God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so in his grace, he determined right then and there that he would make a helper fit for Adam. But then he didn't. That's how the story goes, right? See, verse 19, instead of making a helper for Adam, God made animals and brought them to, name, them to the man so that he would name them. Um, you know, what was all that about? God was showing Adam, making Adam feel and experience his need for relationships with others like and not like him. The animals, they had others like themselves, right? I, I don't know how that whole thing went, but I, Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus and Mr. and Mrs. Tiger and Giraffe and so on, right? He's naming them all. He sees that they're all coupled up and paired and, and, and th- those kind of things, and, and Adam, it dawns on him. He realized that there's no one like him, right? He, he keeps waiting. When's the one like me going to show up in this line, <laughs> right? And there isn't one. He needed someone like him. And so God, the story tells us in chapter 2, he put Adam into this deep sleep and he made a woman from his ribs. And then verse 22, it's like a gift. I mean, God brought this woman that he had made to the man. His special gracious gift to this man. And what happened when God brought him, this woman, to Adam? Adam became a poet, right? He burst out in song. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, right? She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. At last. In the Hebrew, that's what comes first. It just says, at last. He's saying, love you, you are me, and I'm you. We were meant to be together. Adam received what he was made for, a relationship, a relationship with another that was like him. But back to my point, we not only need others like us, we also need others not like us. She was like him, but there were certainly some startling differences, right? Just think about it. Um, God didn't bring Adam Steve, right? He didn't bring him another man, um, right? He didn't bring him a bro to hang out with. Um, <clears throat> he brought him a woman, right? And, you know, we look at this and we say, yeah, okay, of course, she was like him, but she was also not like him. Um, and we say, yeah, physically. Um, but a number of you in this room are married, okay? And you know that the physical differences are really just like the tip of the iceberg uh, when it comes to differences between men and women. Let me read you, I'm going to read you two excerpts from a husband and wife's uh, journal. And both here are reflecting on the very same day, and we'll call these individuals, we'll call them Jim and Susan, all right? So Susan wrote in her journal, tonight I thought my husband was acting weird. Um, 
Not that unusual, I guess. But, you know, she goes on. We had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. I was shopping with my friends all day long, so I thought he was upset at the fact that I was a bit late. But he made no comment on it. Conversation wasn't flowing at all. So I just suggested that we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. And he agreed, but he didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said he wasn't upset, that it had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled silently and kept driving. I cannot explain his behavior. I don't know why he didn't say, I love you too. When we got home, I felt as if I had lost him completely, as if he wanted nothing to do with me anymore. He just sat there quietly and watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. Finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. About 15 minutes later, he came to bed, but I still felt that he was distracted and his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I cried. I don't know what to do. I'm almost sure that his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. Right? Right? Pretty serious disconnect uh, happening here, right? And for her, it's frustrating. It's lonely. It feels like painful betrayal. Jim's journal from the same day, and it's really his reflection on this that gives us insight into this painful, you know, isolating disconnection that was felt. And he wrote just one line. He wrote, my motorcycle won't start, and I can't figure out why. Um, (laughs) Right? Right? That's the cause of all the silent, you know, emotionally cold disconnect that was felt. Um, Obviously a joke, but all jokes contain an element of truth, right? Um, The differences between men and women are far more than just physical. We see life differently. We process life differently. God declared that man, excuse me, that man and woman would be equal in chapter 1, verse 27, that male and female were created in his image. So they're equal, right? But it's not an equality without distinction or difference. Um, but you, you say, some of you might say, you know, this story is really why I don't like the Bible. I mean, look at it. She was made a helper for him. Um, you know, the Bible sees her as less than man. Is that really what you think the Bible is saying? Listen, listen to me. If you, have you ever asked in your life someone for help? or offered someone help. A few months ago, I needed to change spark plugs in my car, which were, is a fairly simple job, right? <laughs> but I know nothing about cars, absolutely nothing, and I don't have the tools to do anything with my, cars. So, with my car. So I picked up the phone, and I called a friend, uh, one of our elders, Frank Riley. I went over to his house, and he had the tools, and he had the know-how, and he helped me. I had to call someone that had something I didn't have in order to get the help. When my kids asked for help with their homework, the requirement for me to help them is that I know something they don't know, right, if I'm going to help them. Do you know this, um, that a helper is not less than. If anything, it might be more than in some unique ways. You know, the word for helper, it shows up a lot in the Bible, and by far, it is mostly used of God. 
When we call on someone who has resources and ability we don't have. You know, my wife is very, very different from me. Um, We've been fighting about it now for 15 years, it seems. Um, And listen, in a fallen world where we are often self-centered with one another, those differences can be very painful and frustrating to us. But my life would be utterly and completely diminished without her. Right? I would lose the ability to see and to understand so much of the world without her by my side. To my credit or my shame, depending on your vantage point, I've never seen an episode of Dancing with the Stars or whatever it's called, and I probably never will. Um, but I want you to imagine for a moment a couple on the dance floor, and they are dancing in perfect harmony with one another, and they are intertwined, right? And they are moving together, and they are in complete sync, and when they're moving so fast, it's almost hard to see where one starts and the other stops, right? Um, They're just so intertwined. But they're not doing the same thing when they're dancing, Every step forward for one involves a step backwards for the other, right? They're moving in harmony. Or you think about music, right? Many voices singing together in unison, um, it has a certain beauty to it. But it pales in comparison to the beauty and the richness and the depth and the, te- and the texture that harmony can give. Many voices complementing each other. God made you and me for a dance with others, for others like us and not like us. And listen, if avoiding and escaping and and misusing relationships denies our humanity, then your humanity, it only flourishes when you are in relationships and in those relationships other-centered, centered on the other. When you move towards others like and not like you, Doctors Paul, Tripp, Timothy Lane, who I mentioned in the last point, they they write this. Every time you move towards someone in compassion, you affirm your humanity. You do this every time you care about someone's story as much as your own. Seek or grant forgiveness or function as a peacemaker. Mike Mason wrote that our relationships are meant to be a constant uh, contest in one-downmanship. And I love that word, one-downmanship, even though my spell check does not recognize it. But one-downmanship, right? He he writes that it is to be a backwards tug-of-war between two wills equally determined not to win. It's when we dance like that with others like us and not like us that our relationships begin to sing and begin to move with real beauty in this world. So, does Genesis chapter 2 mean that you're doomed if you're single? Not at all. I mean, Christianity among all the world religions was the very first to ever uphold the idea of singleness. I mean, Jesus was single. He wasn't married. Neither was the Apostle Paul. Both of those figures, pretty big deals. Um, You can still move towards others like you and not like you 
outside of marriage. Gender differences are just one difference among many, right? There are different cultures and races and personalities and backgrounds and political persuasions and convictions among us. Let me, let me just tell you something uniquely rewarding about my job. It, it somewhat caught me off guard, but I've realized this uh, more and more the longer I, I'm serving as a pastor. Um, you know, we all tend, no matter who we are, we tend to gravitate towards people who are like us. You know, it's easier that way. Um, it, it's harder to move towards people that we initially look at and, and can't see any commonality, where, uh, where we might have very little in common with. But my job is a very unique job, as you might imagine, because it forces me to listen it forces me to try and understand. It forces me to spend time with people who are not like me, who on the surface of, the, uh, of things appear at times very often to have very little in common with me. Um, and what I find is that time and time again after doing that, others who are very much not like me become some of my very closest friends in life. And I find my humanity being affirmed and restored when I move towards others who are like me and also not like me. It opens up a broader world to me to see life from all kinds of different perspectives. See, this isn't just about marriage. We all need to be moving towards others who are like us and not like us. Okay, third, and I'm going to be brief uh, in this point because we've got more to say in the coming weeks, but we need to know others and be known by others. That's the third point. This passage is telling us the key to making our relationships work. This passage is telling us the key to making our relationships sing and to move with real beauty. What is, what is this key? It's in verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's saying they were completely transparent and vulnerable with one another. They were willing to let the other see without any hiding, without any spin, without any deflection. Vulnerable and transparent with one another. They knew one another and they were known by another. But listen... <clears throat> we feel so very schizophrenic in a broken world. And here's what I mean. We instinctively know that we're made for relationships. We're made for autonomy and intimacy. We're made to be a part of us and not just a me, right? We know that. But not only does our loneliness, uh, or not only is our loneliness really our humanity bubbling to the surface, but this craving that we all have, this hunger to be seen by someone else and completely loved by someone else, this desire that every single one of you have, it, right, to see and to know another without having to negotiate any minefield of, you know, spin or walls or hiding and try to read between the lines. That does, we were made, we were made to know and be known. 
to really and truly, for you to really and truly get that and have that, it would be wonderful completion. It would feel like paradise. Because it is. But here's where our schizophrenia comes in. We want that so deeply. But nothing, and I mean nothing, terrifies us more than that. Nothing terrifies us more than actually being seen. Than truly being known down to the very core of our being. So you know what we're left with in a broken world? We're left trying to get love from others, but we know we can only really get that love from others if we can try and be something we're not. Or we take a risk, and we get naked, and we get vulnerable, and we get transparent, and then we find ourselves rejected. I've used this illustration before, but I, it's going to feel a bit abrupt, um, but I hate paper cuts. Um, they're the worst. Um, and it's not because they hurt so bad. Um, you know, I've never cried from a paper cut. Um, they're not the worst because you might bleed to death. I mean, it's barely deep enough to even cause any blood to come to the surface. But I hate paper cuts because you get them on your fingers, and you forget about them, right? You forget about them until you go wash your hands, and the soap gets in there, and it stings. Or you're at lunch, and you order a sweet tea with lemon, and you squeeze that lemon, and that juice gets, ah, it burns. Or you reach your hand in the bag of the salty potato chips, and it gets in there, and it burns, right? Um, That's what our relationships feel like in a broken world. Let me try to explain here. We hunger to know and be known, and so we put ourselves out there. We move towards others like us and not like us, and we start getting vulnerable. We start getting transparent, and sometimes for a moment, we forget. We forget until we get burned yet again. And we feel the sting of rejection, or the pa- we feel the pain of someone knowing us, that terrifying vulnerability of powerlessness when someone knows us as we are and has real power to hurt us, the stinging, shameful embarrassment of who we really are. And when that happens, we feel that, then the blaming starts. It's her, it's him, it's relationships themselves. I'm better off hiding, I'm better off isolating, I'm better off not forgiving, and all, all those things that end up denying our humanity. I've done it, you've done it, we've all done it, we're always doing it, and it is so, so stupid. Right? When you have a paper cut, You never blame the soap or the lemon or the potato chips. That's not the problem. The problem is you're cut. The problem is you're broken. The problem is you're wounded. 
We're not quite there yet, but in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, enough of you know the story. I mean, the minute they sinned, they were hiding. They were covering up. They were blaming. They were covering their nakedness with fig leaves. I immediately, immediately, they could not bear to be seen anymore. If you and I are ever going to be able to begin knowing and being known, the Bible is saying what we really need is to have our shame covered, to have our wounds and our brokenness healed. We need, we need to experience someone truly knowing us and loving us. Centuries later, God sent his own son, Jesus. And you know what they did? They stripped him of his clothes. And they cast lots for his clothes. And they crucified him naked on a cross. What was happening there? He was taking your place. Right? He saw you to the very core of your being, but instead of running away from you, which is your deep fear of knowing and being known, that someone would see you and just bolt. Instead of running from you, he moved towards you and he moved towards you in love. He was cut open with a spear and he was wounded and he was broken for you. He was crucified naked so that you could be covered with his righteousness. And only when we get that will we find the power to be transparent and unashamed in our relationship with God and with one another. We were made for relationships, but until we experience being fully known and completely loved by God, we will not be fully human. Now listen, I've gone a little bit long, so I'm just going to do these quick. Just two very brief applications for you. One, maybe the obvious one, right? Come to Jesus. I plead with you to come to Jesus and have your shame covered with his righteousness. To know the joy of being fully known. He knows you better than yourself. The deepest, darkest sins of your heart, he knows them all. And he loves you and went to the cross for you. So come to Jesus. But second, my second application is this. This is real practical and maybe even painfully so. I don't know. But here it goes. When this service is over, this worship service thing that we're doing in a few minutes, when it is over, please talk to someone. (laughs) We can't get any more practical than that. Have a conversation with someone. Invite someone out this week for a cup of coffee or go to lunch with someone. And I'm very serious about this. Don't wait to apply this. Your humanity is on the line here. You just say, oh, but she'll know, he'll know. I'm just doing this because the preacher said so. It'll feel awkward. (laughs) But listen, would that really be so terrible? That the person you're talking to would say, oh, she's doing this because she's trying to obey the Bible. Um, That would not be a bad thing. 
That would not be a bad thing. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we thank you that you reveal us to ourselves on the pages of Scripture and tell us what we're really like. Um, but even more than that, if it were possible, we thank you that you reveal to us Jesus on every page of Scripture that you are driving us into his arms. Father, we pray that you would indeed make us aware that you made us for relationships and to be with others who are like and not like us. And Father, we pray that you would pour out your grace and drive us to the cross in order that we would see our shame covered, in order that we would know and experience that we are known and loved, and that would free us to move out into the world fully human, moving towards one another in Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.